Life is full of challenges. With an unpredictable economy and just as surprising life changes, you need to be prepared to weather any storm. Elder law and estate planning attorney Kevin Tharp and financial advisor Gary Anderson are available to help you with life's difficult decisions. This is Truth in Planning. Now what? I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisor. Now what? That is one of the most common questions that we get on a regular basis when we get phone calls. And we're getting a lot of phone calls today mm-hmm. and, and every day. And you are as well. It's just it's the times we're going through. And those questions are, are a variety of questions. Some of them are topic areas that we, can, we can't help people with. They're outside of our practice area. Uh, but some of them are areas uh, that we do help people with. Uh, and oftentimes, a lot of it is the family members or loved ones calling the office because they've lost a husband or a wife or they've lost a, a parent or a grandparent. And inevitably, the question that comes up that follows it is, now what? We got all this stuff. Now what? Another area that we get a lot of calls on or uh, something's happened to a loved one. Dad had a stroke. I got a call from a, a high school friend uh, or an email from a high school friend, uh, and um, her brother and I were very close growing up. And 58 years old, had a stroke. He lives out in California now. 58 years old, had a stroke, just out of the blue. And so the family's like, now what? And knowing this is what I do, that was kind of the question is, okay, well, now what? Now what do we do that dad's had a stroke? Now what do we do that something's happened to our loved one? So we're going to address each one of those areas on the, on the show today. And we're going to talk about first, because this is the universal thing that, a uh, universal question that applies all to us, okay? Now that my loved one has passed away, what happens next? What happens to my assets when I die? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I call that the universal question, Gary, because that is one thing built into that, that I've never met a person in my life that doesn't own assets. I've never met a person in my life that doesn't have wishes about what they want to happen to those assets. We do a lot of speaking to groups over the years, and I spoke to a group uh, a while back, and the gentleman came up and said, hey, I liked your food. Thank you for the food. It was good food, and it was good information, but I've decided that I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to let my kids fight over it. <laughs> that's a plan. That's a, that's a wish. <laughs> that's a wish. Okay, And guarantee that wish is going to happen. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, So everybody has wishes. And here's the real universal part of that question. I've never met a person that isn't going to die. So we're all going to die owning assets. And you'll know exactly what's going to happen to your assets when you die if you have these three things as a part of your plan. And in the next segment, we're going to address what happens to my assets if I get sick before I die. And you're going to know the answer to that question by focusing on these same three things. So what's going to happen to my assets when I die is determined, that question is determined by having a complete 
estate plan. And having a, const- a complete estate plan, there is literally a legal definition. There are three sets of laws that apply to having a complete estate plan. And here's the first one. Put your wishes in a legal document. Now, some people choose a will to put their wishes about what they want to happen to their assets when they die, and they put it in a will. We recommend you put it into a trust. They're both legal documents, but here's the difference. If you put your wishes in a will, you can't complete step number two, and that is title your assets in coordination with your document. If it's a will, you can't do step number two. You can't title things in the name of a will. You can't make or want to name your will as a beneficiary of your IRA or life insurance or financial account or bank account or brokerage account. And so since you can't title things in the name of a will, you don't have a complete estate plan. But if you have a trust and you create that trust while you're living and you make that a revocable trust, you keep control, you keep ownership, you can change it anytime you want to. But since you set it up while you're living, it is literally a living, breathing entity. That means you can title your assets in coordination with that trust while you're living without giving up ownership. And that's the second step. Put your wishes in a legal document. And if that legal document is a trust and title your assets in coordination with your trust, and now your wishes and title are coordinated together and you know exactly what's going to happen to your assets when you die. So, Kevin, it sounds to me like if you have a will and you can't even get to step two, complete a, a simple step two with this, that will has put you at a total disadvantage. Absolutely. Because you don't have a, a will, it's not a complete estate plan. Here's what has to happen. So what do we do now that we lost uh, our loved one? What do we do now that I lost a spouse? Look at how things are titled. And if they're not titled in the name of that will, if they're not titled joint, if they're not titled in the name of a trust, if you don't have a beneficiary, then you're going to have to go through probate. The absence of title always equals the presence of probate. It is the law of title that controls everything when the two things, the law of document and the law of title, are not coordinated together, and they can't be with a will. So probate puts you at a disadvantage. Probate puts you at a disadvantage. Here's another disadvantage, Gary. If you use a will as your primary estate planning document, you're spending money on a legal document that you're not going to need. Let's say I spend money on a will, whether I go online and get it or I go to a lawyer's office and get it, but I spend money. I spend $1,000 or I spend $3,000 or let's say I do a will that has all of these Uh, tax-saving things that helps my uh, uh, family take care of estate taxes and eliminates estate taxes. See that a lot. We're going to see a lot more of that, as we talked about on previous shows, when this estate tax limit goes down. Or let's say I have a special needs trust in my will for my surviving spouse that I know has a disability, like Parkinson's, or a, a child that I know has a disability. And I put all these wishes, and I spend all this money on a will, And let's say that will says, when I die, I leave everything to my wife. 
but I never talk with my financial guy about titling, changing the beneficiary on my IRA or life insurance to my will. First of all, I can't do that. So I die. My life insurance is going to my wife because she's the beneficiary. Will's not going to be needed. My IRA has my wife named as beneficiary. She's going to get everything. My will's not going to be needed. We have a joint bank account or we own our home joint with right of survivorship. Title dictates what happens when you die, not your document, when they're not coordinated together. So that's why we like using a trust, because you can title those things together. Now, there's a third element, and we're going to talk more about that in the upcoming segment. And that third element has to do with uh, specifically what happens to my assets if I get sick before I die. What happens if I get sick and go into a nursing home? And we're going to talk about that third legal principle, that third element that needs to be a part of your plan. Gary, people can reach us uh, and talk about these elements by reaching us through kevintharp.com. Your IRA is still going to be there when you're gone. That's coming up next. What's going to happen to your IRA when you die? I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Kevin, the reason I'm even bringing this up right now is we're getting close to a time of the year when people are really thinking about taxes. You're going to have your tax. You're going to get all these 1099s potentially and W-2s pretty soon, and you're going to be ready to file your taxes. But one thing people overlook quite often is not understanding the tax consequences of leaving an IRA to your heirs. And uh, I know some people out there right now are saying, I don't care what happens tax-wise to my heirs when I leave an IRA. They should be lucky they even have it to start with. And that's true. A lot of times I tell people that's kind of like found money. You inherit an IRA for four, five, six hundred thousand dollars, maybe more, maybe less. And uh, you're happy about that. But what you're not going to be too happy about is understanding that you're going to owe taxes on that. This is a tax deferred vehicle. Some people refer to this as a tax delayed vehicle because all those years you contributed to your 401k, your 403b, those types of savings plans, retirement savings plans, you did it and you got a tax deduction, which was nice. I think sometimes people put a little bit too much emphasis on getting that little bit of a tax deduction because in, in the long run, uh, you really get beat up pretty bad paying taxes whenever you take money out of that IRA when you retire. But nevertheless, you've accumulated this money. You've done a wonderful job of accumulating it all through the years that you now have, have, you've worked You've contributed money. Your employer hopefully has contributed money to it. You've got a, a very nice retirement vehicle. That's your retirement vehicle. There are going to be tax consequences when you leave that to somebody else other than your spouse. If you leave it to your spouse, they just get it. Their names just, they change the names. Their name goes on there. Your name comes off. That's, that's the extent 
of the damage, tax damage it can create for your spouse. They'll pay taxes on distributions just like you did. Nothing changes. But then one day, one of you is going to be left left behind, and one of these days, that spouse will die. That spouse with this IRA that you had, and now they have it, now it's going to somebody else. It could be going to your children, your adult children. could be going to your adult grandchildren, for that matter. It's going to go to somebody else, and they're going to have more of a tax problem with that than you ever had, mainly because they're going to have to pay taxes on every bit of this money that they've inherited. Now, there was a time when we had something called the stretch feature to this IRA. And sometimes people still ask me about that to say, well, as I understand, now when my children inherit this IRA, and let's say they're 30 years younger than I am, then they're going to get to, to make little, get little distributions from this every year throughout their lifetime. From the time I die till the time they die, they're going to be taking distributions from this and that's something called the stretch. You're stretching out that tax impact over your entire your entire lifetime as an heir, your life expectancy. So let's say you were 85 years old and you were taking getting your required minimum distribution every year from that. Well, at 85 years old, that required minimum distribution is probably in the 5 or 6%, 7% range that you're having to take out every year. Well, when you when you had an heir that inherited that under the old rules, they could then take out money starting when you died over your over their life expectancy. So you're taking out little bitty pieces of this IRA over all those years. So you're there's not that much of a tax impact. You know, you're you've got some taxable income additional to what you make with your work, but you don't really notice that much of an impact because you're getting to spread that out, stretch it out over your lifetime, over your heir's lifetime. That's gone. I'm sorry to tell you that's gone. That ended in 2020 with the SECURE Act. And then following up with the SECURE Act 2.0 that we just implemented the 1st of 2023, that solidified that we no longer have this stretch. We can't take that IRA and take distributions over our lifetime, the IRA we inherited, and we inherit from someone. Now we have to take it out over a period of 10 years. There's still some argument as to whether or not you can wait till the end of that 10th year to take it out or you take out equal distributions over those 10 years. I default to taking equal distributions over 10 years because all this thing is going to do is grow. It's just going to keep growing. And so that's a good thing. It was a good thing when you accumulated that money in your 401k. You kept growing it all through your lifetime, all through your retirement years, knowing that you needed that money or you could need it somewhere down the line to help take care of you. So it was important that you had it. Now you're outliving all this money that you've accumulated. And there is a very, very good chance that you're going to leave every bit as much money in that IRA. When you started taking money from it, when you retired, you're going to leave every bit that much money or more when you die. I always tell people this. There's always going to be something left in that IRA when you leave this earth. So, number one, we need to have our beneficiary designations right. That comes with the planning. That comes with the, with the on the estate planning side. That's the communication that you 
your financial advisor and your estate planning attorney need to have to make sure that your heirs are getting this the right way, and then making sure that your heirs at, that, at some point in time can get the full advantage as much as possible of this money they're going to inherit. So we have to be ready. We don't want to ignore these tax consequences that can really impact your heirs in a negative way, even though they're inheriting a nice chunk of money potentially from you. Let's try to minimize that through good planning. We're talking about what happens to your IRA when you die today on Truth and Planning. And I'm with my co-host, Gary Anderson, financial advisor. And Gary, I think that's a very important point that you made because you know you've been we've been working together for long enough. You've heard me say this quite often. IRAs equal IRS when somebody dies, mm-hmm. especially your children. There's no way around it. That doesn't change. These Secure Act rules are very finite now. And it doesn't change based on except how you choose your beneficiary. And this is where it becomes very important for the financial advisor and their and the client and their estate planning attorney to talk about why. Because I hear this from my perspective quite a bit. The financial advisor is telling the client who should or should not be the beneficiary of their IRA. Oh, you don't need to make a trust. Just make it your spouse and kids. That could have tax consequences. Or you don't want to make a trust the beneficiary because that has adverse tax consequences. But when you realize that the SECURE Act doesn't really change these tax rules if the beneficiary is a trust or a beneficiary is a kid because the IRS looks through the trust and sees who are the beneficiaries of the trust. And if it's a kid or it's a spouse, none of these tax rules change. The worst beneficiary is your estate. Right. You just have an extra degree of protection when they inherit it that way as opposed to the estate. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people actually recommend that you make the estate the beneficiary of your IRA. I know of a financial advisor that told someone that recently. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why. I know of an attorney that told a client whose husband has a known disability, you need to set up a special needs trust, did it in the will, and then said, go change the beneficiary wife of your IRA, your 401k, to your estate. So this is, an IRA is an incredible tool for your retirement. You accumulated money all these years. You worked with your advisor to make sure that money was going to last your lifetime and the lifetime of your spouse. When you both are gone, you have money that's exceeding your life expectancy, exceeding your lifetime. That money is going to go somewhere. You want it to go to the right place, the right way, and you want to make sure that you're impacting taxes as little as possible, although there is going to be a tax issue there, and planning helps overcome some of this. And so this is what we like to do when we talk with clients. Make sure they understand the consequences of leaving the IRA the wrong way. And let's make sure we're working to get it right, to get the planning part right. And they can call us at Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. In the next segment, we're going to talk about what are you waiting for?
What are you waiting for? I'm Kevin Tharp, Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, Financial Advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, we get calls on a regular basis because we've helped a lot of people over the years. In all the years that we've been planning in uh, in this area of North Georgia, uh, we, uh, we've helped a lot of families. And one of the most common questions that we get uh, a call on is, what, ha- what do we do now? And it's usually preceded by, we've just lost a loved one. What do we do now? And sometimes it's, uh, we get a call that something's happened to a loved one, an unexpected illness, a stroke, somebody's fallen off a ladder and hit their head. We had somebody call that uh, the other day. And now there's a health crisis. What do we do now? And we talked about what do we do now if the question is now that we've lost a loved one. And I said, uh, you know what's going to happen to your assets when you die if you have three legal things in place. And the first one we talked about is type of document. Put your wishes in a legal document, whatever those wishes are. Now, the traditional legal document that most people are familiar with, Gary, is a will. But there's also been around another legal document called a trust, and it's a specific type of trust called a revocable trust. You can set it up while you're living. It becomes a legal entity while you're living. And it's controlled by you. Revocable means you don't give up control. You don't give up ownership. You don't have to put things. It's not like you're putting all the control in your kids' names uh, and you give up control. You still retain ownership with that revocable living trust. But a trust is a legal entity, which is very important because law number two says to have a complete estate plan, you've got to title your assets in coordination with that trust. And you can't title assets in the name of a will. I don't care how well written, well drafted, how specific. I don't care if there's tax saving provisions in the trust or if there's special needs trust for family members or loved ones. Whatever the document says, it means nothing. It is literally just a piece of paper if you don't title things in the name of that document. And there's your first problem. You can't title things in the name of a will. You can't make your will the beneficiary of your financial accounts. And more and more financial accounts and financial institutions are trending towards beneficiary designation, just like you talked about in the previous segment. An IRA is a type of financial account. It can be a brokerage account. It can be a bond account. It can be a mutual fund account. It can be a gold account. Property. Property. It can be any type of asset that you and your financial advisor have agreed on on how to invest it. But that asset, that account has a title. And many of these accounts now allow you to name a beneficiary. And as you said in that previous segment, who you name as beneficiary controls what happens to that IRA when you die. And so you, can, you can't make your will the beneficiary of your IRA. And so since your will and beneficiary designation are not titled together, you don't have a complete estate plan. Title is going to control what happens. It negates the value of your will document. And that's why we like using a trust, because you can make your trust the beneficiary of your IRA or your life insurance or your financial account, or your CD, or your credit union account. 
Now many banks are letting you do a beneficiary designation on your checking mm-hmm. account. And by making your trust the beneficiary, when you die, all of those assets go into this bucket called a trust. And so when my clients call and say, we've lost a loved one, I lost my spouse, I lost my parent or grandparent, what do we do now? I can tell them, well, I can tell you one thing you're not going to have to do now, and that's go through probate. It's black and white. Probate laws, the law of probate says you go through probate based on how the asset is titled. If you title things in the name of a trust while you're living, when you die, your survivors do not have to go through probate. Had a conversation with a lady uh, earlier this morning before we came in to do that, record this show, and her uh, dad passed away five weeks ago. And they're like, what do we do now? We were told by this institution, we were told by the bank, we were told by the financial person, we've got a probate. And do it now. And do it now. You got 60 days to do it. Well, guess what they found out? Because everything was titled in coordination with the trust, because dad set up a trust and titled his home in the name of a trust and made his uh, trust the beneficiary of his financial accounts, including his IRA and his life insurance, then everything was titled in a trust. There is no probate. They were ecstatic. They were happy. We avoided probate. They didn't have to go through probate. Why? Because they had a complete estate plan. Now, there's a third thing. So choose the right, choose a document called a revocable living trust. Title your assets in coordination with that trust, including making your trust the beneficiary of your financial accounts, including your IRA. Won't change the taxes to your beneficiaries. Because the IRS ignores this trust while you're living, and they continue to ignore it when you die. So it won't change the taxes. And the only thing your kids are going to pay taxes on when you die is whatever's left of that IRA. There's no way around that. You've heard me say this a number of times. IRAs equal IRS, especially for our children now. And your children have 10 years to take that money out now. They don't have their life expectancy like they used to. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you said, the SECURE Act eliminated that. That doesn't change because they get it through a trust. So why leave things to your beneficiaries through a trust? Asset protection. And that leads us to the third thing. What happens to my assets if I get sick before I die? And that depends on whether you have a complete estate plan. If you put your wishes in a trust, you've titled your assets in coordination with the trust, Then here's the third thing. It won't change the type of assets you own. Asset protection for you and your spouse while you're living is entirely dependent on what type of assets mom and dad, husband and wife, you own. And there are certain types of assets like your home, like your IRA, like your bank accounts up to a current level of $150,000 that are protected for the sole reason of the type of assets they are. Doesn't matter if you have a trust or don't have a trust. Type of asset determines protection during lifetime. But here's why we like titling them in a trust. Because at some point in time, you may become incapacitated. What's going to happen to those assets if you become incapacitated and you can't manage your assets? Well, if they're titled in a trust, you name trustees. It might be your spouse. It might be your adult children or grandchildren. And by naming them as trustee in your document, 
and putting title of those assets in coordination with that trust, they have access to take care of you according to your wishes, which is in your trust. And then when you die, that access continues, Gary, and they don't have to go through probate to get that access. That's why you title things in a trust. And here's another reason, and this is a huge reason. This is a huge benefit of titling things in a revocable trust. When you die, not only do you go through avoid probate, that's a huge benefit, but anything you leave your beneficiaries through a trust, whether it's your surviving spouse, whether it's your kids or grandkids, whatever you leave them through a trust, there's 100% asset protection. My dad, if he had died first, would have left everything in his IRA, and that was his largest asset, hundreds of thousands of dollars in his IRA. He would have left to my mom through a trust. That IRA money would, would have been protected for her because he knew she was suffering from Parkinson's dementia. He knew that she was in a nursing home, and if he had died first, he wanted to make sure she was protected, and that would have been guaranteed because he left her things through a trust. When you leave your kids things through a trust, hopefully everything's fine with them and their marriage and health. But what happens if it's not? Leave them things through a trust and it's protected from a divorcing spouse. That's because you have a complete estate plan. There's asset protection for you and there's asset protection for your family. Kevin, why don't you give people your information so they can come in and talk to you about planning this way. KevinTharp.com is my website and that's the best way to reach me end of the year tax benefits from charitable giving are you giving the right way i'm gary anderson financial advisor anderson and advisors and i'm kevin tharp elder law and estate planning attorney kevin giving charitable giving here we are getting towards the end of the year now people are thinking about their taxes they're thinking about potentially right at the tail end of the year, giving more money away to a charity, making contributions to a charity to help themselves out tax-wise. And that's a good thing to be able to do. This is what supports a lot of organizations. There are these charities, these, these, this giving that you, get, that you have, mainly because you get a tax benefit from it, but also the organization has a benefit from it because they're enjoying the money that you're giving away to be able to further their causes, to further what they want to do. So it's important. These charitable donations are very important. Now, what happened in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was the standard deduction went up a great deal higher, double basically. So you've been able to enjoy that on your tax returns because you're paying less taxes because of that alone, because your standard deduction is higher, is more so. Well, what that did to charitable organizations, it was kind of a, a scary time for charitable organizations because all of a sudden people were looking at, okay, well, I don't have to give as much money away because I'm getting this other tax break out there, so I'm not giving money away for a tax break there now. So it did curtail certain people from giving to charities, giving to your churches, any charitable organization. It did hurt. But what I also found was you have a lot of people out there who are wealthy, who have a lot of money, 
I saw a lot of these people step up the amount of money they were giving away because they knew there was a reason for it. They needed to help these organizations more. So altruism was kind of the, the game of the day over the past four or five years just because people had to give more money to make sure their organizations, the organizations they supported, were going to be able to stay in existence. And it happened, and it happened really well. One thing that people overlook a lot of times are donor-advised funds, and uh, DAF in short, donor-advised funds. Well, what is that? What, what, how does that work? Well, the way it works, Kevin, is if I've got, let's say I have a couple of hundred thousand dollars that I want to give away to a charity or some charities, whoever that may, may be. But let's also say this particular year or next year, whenever it is, this particular year, I've got a lot more, a lot more of a tax burden than I thought I was going to have potentially because I've made more money this year. I've had more dividend income. I've had a lot of things going on where I know I'm going to have to pay more taxes. So maybe I, I would love to be able to give away a lot more money, but I don't necessarily want to give it to any one particular organization at this point. And now we're in December. What am I going to do? One easy thing to do, talk to your advisor about donor advised funds, DAF. Because what you can do, if you've got this $200,000 that you want to take off the books as a charitable donation, you can give the full $200,000 to this donor advised fund. This is something that we do. We do it through our custodian, which this happens to be Fidelity. This is who we use as far as our clients go. And so you put this $200,000 in this donor advised fund all at one time. You get the tax break for it this year, this tax year. So you're able to enjoy the benefits of contributing, not necessarily to a one particular entity at this point in time, but you put it in this fund. And then let's say over the next several years, you advise us, me as an advisor, where you want that money to go, what charitable organization you want that money to go to. And of course, it's got to be a 501c3. It's got to be a charitable organization that's recognized by the IRS, just like any charitable, charitable donation is. But you take that full amount of money, and then you can direct your advisor to spread that out over a period of years to some charitable organization or another. Sometimes your sentiments change. Sometimes mm -hmm. you don't really feel like contributing to the church you were contributing to anymore. Maybe there's another organization you would like to contribute to because it falls more in favor with your core beliefs. So this gives you the opportunity to pick and choose who you want it to go to, even though you got that tax deduction back in 2023, 2024, you're able to spread out that um, the, the donations over a period of years, spread it out over five years, let's say. So somebody, some organization or several organizations on a 200000 are going to get $40,000 for five years, let's say, for that. But you can change your mind every year and give it to someone else. Have your advisor send this out to this charitable organization. It's something that I really take a lot of pleasure in doing because I know that it's a very efficient way to help these organizations, but also a very tax-efficient way to help my clients.
And um, it's just a marvelous tool. And it's a tool that has been given to us by the IRS has created this by, you know, through tax laws. And so let's take advantage of that. But let's also make sure that who we want the money to go to is going to be who we want it to be both now and later down the line. We're talking about how you give and the importance of understanding that there are many benefits and ways that you can give as a part of your charitable giving. Uh, And many of those benefits, as Gary mentioned, are tax benefits. But Gary, I know that there are certain uh, organizations uh, that I supported here locally and uh, did a lot of stuff for uh, seniors, especially those with Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, special needs, and others. And I know a number of years ago, there was a local charity that did a tremendous amount of work on a daily basis. Uh, It was an adult daycare place. And when COVID hit Mm. and change of management and loss of key management uh, there, they had to shut their doors, primarily because of COVID. They just couldn't provide this service to that particular population because of COVID. And, you know, in that area, you know, a a six-month stop is is you might as well just close the doors. Well, and a lot of that, Kevin— came about because people were getting a better, higher standard deduction. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people weren't giving like they did. They got hit hard by that. Mm-hmm. A lot of organizations did. I think some of this could have been remedied by the financial advisory industry, mm-hmm. by financial advisors, because this donor advised fund, this DAF, it existed then, and a lot of people could have given and would have given, I believe, had they known that they could have done it this way. And your intention may be you want to support organizations like that, and the main organization you supported has gone out of business for whatever reason. You can still, there's similar organizations, maybe not in your local area, but around the state or in the country, that do the same things that you can support through this donor advised fund. Well, and it also gives you a little more control with the donor advised fund because you, when you give funds one year, you give funds another year to some particular organization, maybe that organization does have issues, they go out of business, or they're not being managed in a way that you like, or their goals and objectives have changed, then you haven't committed all this money to them that now you wish you hadn't done. So that's another reason you, you can do a donor-advised fund, a reason you might want to do it, because... It gives you more control over who's getting this money and when they get it. And you can do donor-advised funds. You can contribute to that donor-advised fund every year if you want to. This is not a one-time thing. So if you've got the kind of money that you would like to be able to contribute and get a tax benefit from that way, that's an outstanding way to do it because you're not committing all this money all at one time, but you're getting the tax benefit the year you put the money in there, which is fabulous. And this is something we like to help people do. If you'd like to have more information about that, we'll be glad to help you with it. You can call us at Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. We'll be glad to have you come in for a consultation and just go over these types of things. 
Investment advisory services are offered through Anderson Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm. Anderson Advisors is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investments involves risk, including with potential for loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Any reference to protection, safety, and lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the strength and paying capabilities of the insurance carrier. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. You should consult with a financial advisor to help determine the best options for your particular circumstances. No statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not endorsed by the United States government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions construed herein presented by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Gary Anderson nor Anderson Advisors is affiliated with attorney J. Kevin Tharp or any guests on this show. Mm-hmm.